For those of us who have encountered the supernatural, we are forever changed by these haunting experiences. We carry a little more weight, we endure a lot more shame, and we never do quite sleep the same. They say, seeing is believing, and for those who have never had a first-hand run-in with the supernatural, allow our stories to show you why you should be thankful you never have. But be warned, because like ours, your visitors might arrive when you least expect them. I'm Jacob Granado. And this is the Chambers family's ghost story. Welcome, everybody, to part one of the Chambers family's ghost story. If you're easily scared or if my family's ghost story was like out of your comfort zone, then this story is not for you. Back when I first announced that I was going to be including real life supernatural stories in season two of Crack Pop, I asked for people to share their encounter stories with me, and I did get a few. Some people sent me a few sentences, others a few paragraphs, all of which I do want to eventually share on this show. But then I got this one email from one of our listeners, Veronica Chambers. And that's not her actual name, by the way. She's given me that name to protect her identity. And I can't say that I blame her for wanting to do that. I have known Veronica somewhat since high school, but I would have never in a million years guessed that what she had shared with me in that email was something that could have ever happened to anybody, but let alone somebody that I knew. It's funny how these stories seem to happen to the most unsuspecting of people, Like, there was nothing about Veronica that would ever lead me to believe that she would be the victim of something so terrifying and horrific. And honestly, I probably only needed a minute or two of reading her story to know that her experiences needed to be shared. So here I am. With her permission, I will be telling you Veronica's family's story, as if it were her telling it to you herself. Are you ready? Here is Veronica's story. I am Veronica, or Ronnie, either one works. And bear with me through all of this, please. This is all just so awkward for me. I don't really put myself out there too much. And 
I don't know, I've never really told anybody about my paranormal experiences because like, how could I? I cannot possibly think of a situation where I would be just comfortable, just casually bringing up what happened to me in everyday conversation. And really not even many of my close friends know. They know some of it. Like I've told them that my house was haunted and that I heard some scary noises and yada, yada, yada. But I'd be lying if I said that that was all of it. Truthfully, only a handful of people know the whole story. That would be me, my mom, my two brothers, and the two priests. One who came to bless our house, and the other, well actually that would be jumping way too far ahead. So to understand how I ended up with that priest, I need to take you back to where it all started. I grew up and actually still live in Highland, California. I'd guess it's not that far from where many of you are listening right now, but to many people it might not be much more than just your typical suburb of LA, but to me it's so much more than that. I actually loved growing up in Highland. My family consists of my dad and my mom, and then my older brother Paul, who's older than me by two years, me, Ronnie, and then our younger brother Benjamin, or Benji, who's three years younger than I am. We were pretty lucky growing up because most of our extended family lives not that far from here. So when I think back to my childhood, all of these warm memories of being outside in the hot Southern California sun just come flooding back to me. Birthday parties, 4th of Julys, pool parties, and my favorite, beach days. I would say though that my parents were kind of strict with us growing up, not in like any damaging way or anything. And honestly, I feel like that's how I'm going to be with my kids too someday because in our world, like how could you not? My brothers and I were these three well-behaved kids that went to church with our parents every single Sunday. And it was always like so awkward. When church ended, my parents always loved to stay after and catch up with all of their church friends. And we would just be standing there like patiently, but deep down wanting to go home and play outside so badly. And then some older lady would come up to my mom and compliment her on what a good job she did raising us. And I would just look at my brothers and we would stare at each other, trying not to burst out laughing. My mom was a stay-at-home mom when we were young, and even though it seemed like my dad was always working, they still found the time to make sure that our weekends were always full of fun. We had movie nights and family game nights, and our all-time favorite game to play was Sorry. But because Sorry is only a four-player game, and because there was five of us, someone always had to be left out. My dad was usually the one who volunteered to sit the game out, but I'm sure that it was way more fun anyway, like watching all of us scream and laugh at each other, and the end of the game always seemed to get so intense. <sighs> but soon, 
nobody would have to sit the game out anymore because there would only be four of us. Tragically, my dad passed away in 2004. He was just visiting some of his family members abroad when he suffered a heart attack and then died from it. And just like that, he was gone, taken from us. I don't mean to start out dark already, but losing him was such a pivotal moment in my family's life. And it's left this deep hole in our hearts ever since. And it's something that you couldn't comprehend unless you've lost one of your parents, which I hope you never have. And once he was gone, it took a really long time for things to return back to normal for my mom, for my brothers, and for me. And honestly, some things never did completely go back to normal. For one, we stopped going to church altogether. My mom kind of just lost touch with God because she couldn't understand why my dad had to go. Basically, if there was a God, how could he be so cruel to us? We were a good Christian family. Since then, she has made peace with my dad's passing and has found her way back to God. My brothers and I just carried on like normal, and I started middle school, which really all seems like a blur, and then I found myself in high school. I think that by this time, I had finally made peace with my dad's passing too, and life kind of just started right back up for me. I was never the loudest or the most popular girl in my classes. I kind of just kept to myself, and I was more focused on my schoolwork anyways, and spending my free time reading or hanging out with my family. I sort of wish that I had done more clubs and had gotten more involved when I was in high school, but I'm also not the kind of person who lives with regrets. And don't get me wrong, I still had a lot of fun back then. I met so many amazing lifelong friends in high school, friends that you could find me with on any given weekend at market night in downtown Redlands, trying to act older than we were so that we wouldn't get kicked out at eight o'clock, which was the curfew for anybody under 18. Or we were driving downtown to Chipotle after school with all of the windows down, screaming the lyrics to Taylor Swift songs as if we'd all just gotten our hearts broken that day. And then in the blink of an eye, high school was gone too. We all went our separate ways. I went straight to a four-year university where I spent the next chapter of my life getting my teaching credential, which brings me to today. That might be all that you would know about me if I were to muster up the courage and tell you my real name. Back before all of this, something happened. Something that I have tried to keep a secret for a while now, and actually I've done a really good job doing that because I haven't told anyone outside of my family until now. Let me take you back to my sophomore year of high school, to Christmas Day of 2009. 
At this point, it has been five years since my dad passed away. Five Christmases without him here. My cousins, my aunts, my uncles, they all tried to fill his absence so that Christmas didn't feel as lonely in our household. We take turns opening our presents as usual, but my closest cousin, Denise, who's just a few years older than me, keeps insisting for some reason that I go up next and that I open the present that she got me first. She's so excited for some reason, so when it gets to me, just to spite her, I open one from my aunt instead. It's a pajama set. <laughs> Another one. Then desperate Denise walks up and she places her perfectly wrapped gift in my lap. It's like roughly the size of a clothes box, but it's a lot heavier than clothes. I shake it and some pieces clunk around inside. I tear the wrapping paper off and it's a Ouija board. Oh my God, you did not, I tell her. My mom and my aunts don't even know what it is at first. And then Denise tells everybody, oh, it's, it's a game that lets you talk to spirits. They all shake their heads, but I'm, I'm honestly kind of excited. I've always kind of been into spookier things, like scary movies have always been my favorite. And I've only ever seen this game in those movies. I tell Denise, okay, since you got the game for me, you have to come over this week and play it with me. And then I put it down. I open the rest of my gifts. We eat dinner. And then everybody goes home later that night. Just a little over a week later, Denise does come over. She brings pizza for me and my family, and we scarf it down. After we've cleaned up, we're all sitting at the dinner table talking, and Denise is like, Ronnie, go get the game. I can tell my mom's not thrilled about the idea of playing the Ouija board with her niece and her kids, but she's also surprisingly not that opposed to it either. So I run upstairs and I pull the board out from underneath my bed. It's still sealed in the plastic wrap that it came in. And I place it down in the middle of the table. I'm the kind of person that reads all of the rules first before playing any kind of board game. But Denise insists that she knows what to do. She already knows how to play and it's not her first time. So she takes over and she spreads the board out in front of us. And if you've ever seen a Ouija board before, you would know exactly what this one looked like. It's got the word yes in the upper left-hand corner, the word no in the upper right-hand corner. In the center, you have the entire alphabet and the numbers zero through nine. And then at the very bottom is the word goodbye. And then there's this wooden teardrop shaped piece with a hole in the middle that allows you to see the board underneath it. The hole's like the size of a quarter, so it's just big enough to see one letter or one number on the board. Denise turns the lights off, really setting the mood, and then explains to us that we each need to place two fingers on that wooden piece. This is all stuff that I've seen in the movies before, so I've got it down, but my mom and Benji are trying to follow along. 
That's when my mom says something like, Benji, maybe you shouldn't play this with us. But Denise is like, oh, come on, auntie, it's more fun with more people. And Benji is now completely invested in playing. So my mom gives in and we ask the board our first question. Denise says something like, is anyone there? And nothing happens. My older brother Paul goes next and he says, tell us your name. And then suddenly, someone moves the wooden piece over the letter B, then U, then T, then T again. Okay, haha, real mature. And we all kind of took turns doing that. We would ask a question and then we'd all look at each other trying to see who was the one messing around. And somebody would manipulate the little wooden piece to spell out something like poop. <laughs> one of us actually even spelled out A-S-S, and my mom was not happy about that. We kind of got over the game pretty quickly, and I was kind of disappointed, I'm not gonna lie. I mean, obviously I didn't want something really scary to happen, but I expected more than this. Before we put the game away though, my mom decides to ask it one last question. In a few days, she's going out of town, so she asks out loud, Am I going to meet anyone there? We wait a second, and then the wooden piece glides along the board to the letter D, and then to A, and then to N. And then nothing. D-A-N. Dan? We were all kind of expecting somebody to spell out another funny word or something. That was it. And then, all of a sudden, the house phone rings. It kind of spooked all of us. And my mom gets up to answer it, and we're kind of just staring at her, wondering if somehow a ghost we had conjured up was calling our house phone. We're holding our breaths. But no, it's just my mom's friend, Connie. We all laugh about it, and when Connie and my mom talk, oh my god, it lasts hours. So now we know that the game is basically over. Denise is like, Ronnie, we'll have to play again some other time. I start to pack the board away, but Denise is like, wait, you have to hover the piece over the word goodbye at the end so that the spirits don't stay. So we do. We say goodbye to it. My brothers go to their rooms. I walk Denise out to her car and then I hug her goodbye. I come back inside, tell my mom goodnight, and then I go upstairs to my room and slide the game back underneath my bed. And then I just call it a night. The morning that my mom leaves for her trip, she has to be at the airport really early, like 5 a.m. early. So she wakes us all up to say goodbye and then we go back to sleep. And by the time that we're awake, my mom has already landed and my aunt and my uncle are at our house ready to pick us up to take us to their house for the next few nights. Later on that same day, when I was in the car with Paul on our way back to our aunt's house after school, my mom calls me. Ronnie, oh my god, I forgot to tell you what happened to me. You're never going to believe it, she says. 
When I was on the train leaving the airport, I sat next to this man. Well, we talked and we talked and before he got to his stop, he turns to me and he says, I never got your name. I tell him, I'm Anna. And he says, oh, it was nice getting to know you, Anna. I'm Dan. Paul and I look at each other like, okay. She's like, Dan, D-A-N. Can you believe it? It took us a second. We both had honestly kind of forgotten that we spelled that exact name out with the Ouija board, but it had clearly left an impression on our mom. And when she returned home from her trip, that is all she could talk about. She told my aunts, she called Connie, but I kind of just wrote it off as some strange coincidence, but it did make a good story. Maybe a week or so later, some of my best friends come over to my house to hang out. Our plans are to order Chipotle for dinner and then watch a scary movie. But when we get to talking, I fill them in on the whole Ouija board and the Dan story. And these two friends in particular are so scared by anything, so their jaws are like on the floor by the time that I finish telling them. One of them says, do you still have it? Let's play it. I was hesitant at first. My mom and both of my brothers were visiting with some family, so they weren't coming home that night. So I know that I'm going to be sleeping here alone. And I should have listened to my gut, but they kept insisting. So I give in and I remind myself like nothing bad happened the first time. So we head up to my room of all places. We slide out the game from underneath my bed and we start. I turn off all the lights in my room. I light a candle and we kind of just jumped right into it. We take turns asking things like, are there any spirits here? And can you spell out your name? At first, nothing happens. But then the wooden piece starts moving quickly from underneath our fingers, almost too quickly to the point that we can't even follow the letters. I kind of started getting anxious this time, but I tried laughing it off because I figured the girls are just making stuff up, even though their faces both kind of look worried, but they must be having fun, so no big deal. But the air in my room just felt different. Like it felt heavier. If I don't know, it felt like there was something in the room with us. And then one of my friends says exactly what I was thinking, but out loud. She says, I know you're here. I can feel you. And that was enough for me. I freaked out when she said that and I turned the light on. I blew the candle out and I closed the game and I just shoved it back under my bed. The girls are just laughing and laughing and after my breathing like finally calmed down a bit, I started laughing with them, but I think I was only trying to make myself feel better. Nothing about this was funny. Once they left, I found it impossible to sleep that night. I kept looking over into the dark corners of my room and I thought I was seeing shadows and stuff, so I just 
turn on all my lights. I couldn't sleep in the dark, so I turned them all on and I tried to sleep like that, but I felt like I heard things moving in different parts of the house. And again, I'm home alone, so I'm definitely not going out of my room to explore the noises. And honestly, for the next few days, I found that I couldn't shake this worried and anxious feeling. I was starting to grow uneasy in my own house. I don't know how to explain it, but it felt like there was a heaviness around me at all times. Like, I'd walk into a room and I would sense that it was different, like somebody was in there hiding somewhere. But then I'd walk into that same room later on and it would feel completely fine. I don't know, maybe I'm just paranoid, I would think to myself, but no matter how hard I tried to forget about it, the feeling would just keep coming and going. This lasted like a month. Then one night, my mom and I are in the living room watching TV together when we both hear something. It sounded like something was lightly tapping on our window, like on the glass, but the shutters are closed in front of the window so we can't see out of it. My mom is like, oh, it must have just been the pipes. But I wasn't content with that answer, so I bravely get up, I open the shutters, and I look outside, but all I see is the pitch black darkness of our backyard. I told you it was nothing, my mom says. So I squint my eyes and I look through the window again and I still don't see anything. I shrug it off and I close the shutters and then I turn around to walk back to the couch when it happens again. But this time it was a little bit louder and it came from that same window. I got this pit in my stomach because I knew right away that it was something else, something scarier, but my mom insisted that she would just call someone out to take a look at the piping. And she did. The plumbers were out later that same week, but they found nothing. So we just tried to move on. My routine continued, waking up, going to school, doing my homework, seeing my friends whenever I could, trying to get some sleep at night. But then something started to interrupt that routine. Every night when I'd get home from school, I would dread being home. We'd do our schoolwork, eat dinner, and then hang out in the living room or the dining room. Without fail, each and every night, we would be right in the middle of a TV show or a conversation when we'd hear it again. And as it continued, it just seemed to become part of my family's routine, and I hated that. My mom would say things like, well, there's the ghost again, but I always seemed to be the one that was the most freaked out by it. And maybe whatever it was could sense that I really was the most scared because, well now, that's when the taps started following me and started happening only at my bedroom 
window. My family members just started to think that I was crazy because of course they weren't hearing it anymore, but it was constant. It was more rare for the tapping to happen during the day when it was light outside, but even then sometimes it still did. But when it got dark, it would happen each and every night and multiple times a night. That's what was so cruel about it. I never knew when to expect it. I would be doing homework and the tapping would come. I'd be drying myself off after a shower and... And every single time that it came, I would open my drapes to see if anything was out there. And the tapping would suddenly stop as soon as I did. And I always found myself looking out at nothing, but still, I could feel someone's eyes on me, almost as if whatever it was, was staring at me as I peered out of my window. And this went on for months. And for months, I barely slept at all because bedtime was the worst. Every single time I would lay down in my bed, I would just be waiting for something to happen. It usually did right before I finally shut my eyes for the night, but the worst was when it would just jolt me awake after I had finally fallen asleep. At first, it sounded like maybe just someone's long fingernail tapping on the window and making the noise, but now it almost started sounding like a knocking. At the time, my drapes were these really thin, sheer pieces of fabric that you could just see right through. So as this all got worse, I started covering my window with a thick blanket, just to try and prevent whatever it was from staring at me while I slept. But it didn't really work. I still felt like I was being watched all the time. And then every morning I would wake up for school and I would just show up exhausted and tired while everyone else around me seemed to be so vibrant and full of energy. That's when my grades started sinking lower than they had ever gotten before, which was a big deal for me because I had always been a straight A student. But I mean, how could I care now? Things were getting so bad for me back home. The taps would still happen, but not as often. And it's not because whatever was doing it had left, no. Instead, it felt like the spirit had just finally gotten inside my room. I started feeling a presence by my bedside every night. I could never see anything, but I felt it. I knew I was never really alone. It literally felt like every night was a battle for my life and that any night might be my last. I know that might sound dramatic to you, but until you felt that feeling like a demonic presence around you at all times, you couldn't understand what that feels like. As the days and the nights turn into months, I was honestly becoming so unstable and distraught, 
I would burst out in tears in front of my mom when something would happen to me. And she could tell just how scared I was all the time. And I think that's when she decided, okay, enough is enough. Seeing her only daughter living in this constant state of fear and anxiety pushed her to finally do something about it. Although she hadn't been active in the church since my dad passed, she found a priest to come to our house and bless it. The old priest moved so slowly throughout our whole house, blessing each room with holy water and reciting verses from the Bible. And after about an hour, we thanked him and he was on his way. And I felt this huge relief once he left because the tapping actually stopped and my uneasiness started melting away and I was finally able to get a few nights of actual sleep. But that was short-lived because just a few days after the priest had come, the spirit returned. And it wasn't just the tapping that came back. Now we were hearing more noises throughout the house and I wasn't the only one who was hearing it anymore. It was like the priest coming to bless our house had angered it. Things would fall in the other room. We would hear random thuds from upstairs and we were all downstairs. And then at night, I would always feel the presence of someone standing and staring at me while I was laying in bed. And now I felt so hopeless because not even prayers and blessings around the house could keep this thing away. So what kind of spirit was it? Because my dad had passed away, many people in our family would just say like, oh, it's just your dad protecting you. And I tried for a while to really convince myself that that was the case. But deep down, I knew that there was no way that this was my dad. He would not harass me like this every single night. It wasn't someone who loved me. It was something else. It was someone who wanted to harm me. I was getting so fed up and tired of just keeping quiet and pretending that this was all normal and just trying to live with this entity in our house. And I think something snapped in me because I went into full survivor mode. I was so full of anger at this thing for haunting me and causing so much fear in mine and my family's lives that I started to interact with it. I thought that if I were to address it when I would hear the tapping or whenever I felt like it was close to me, that maybe I could scare it back. So I would scold it, and if I was home alone, I would honestly scream at it to make me feel more at ease. Get the f out of my room. I would just say anything to make me feel like I was the person in charge of this situation because I was so tired of feeling defeated by something that I couldn't even see. This seemed to just frustrate him, and things got even worse than they were before I started talking to it. 
because I began seeing glimpses of this man. There were times where I felt like I had just seen a shadow walk by out of the corner of my eye. And other times, I would see a shadow just standing far off in the corner of my room. And it wasn't like I had a pile of clothes in the corner of my room that just kind of resembled a person. No, I have always been super clean. And my room was and still is pretty minimal. So there was literally nothing else that could explain those shadows being there. But even so, I was never 100% sure that what I was seeing was actually even real until someone else saw him. One summer night, my younger cousin Jaden, who was only about six years old at the time, came to spend the night at our house. Ever since Jaden was really small, he always favored me over the rest of our cousins, so him coming to our house was so exciting for him. We were in the living room, um, sharing a blanket and watching Ice Age on my laptop, or at least I was watching it. Jaden seemed more quiet than usual and kind of distracted by something. I thought maybe he's just tired, so I close the lid of my laptop and I tell him, all right, bub, it's time to go to bed. So I'm walking him upstairs to Benji's room because Benji had a bunk bed and that's where Jaden usually slept when he stayed over. And we only make it about halfway up the stairs when Jaden stops and looks at me with this worried expression. And then he whispers to me, I was too scared to tell you, but there was a tall man wearing a hat and he was staring at you while we were watching the movie. My whole body froze in that moment. It felt like millions of goosebumps all over my whole body. What I was feeling for what had been about a year was now confirmed by my little cousin. I was being watched. It didn't take that long for us to realize that the man that my little cousin had seen and the one who was probably haunting us this entire time had come from messing with the Ouija board. I think we kind of knew that that's where it came from all along, but when we really sat down and talked it through, we realized that we didn't have anything happen to us before the Ouija board and just weeks after playing it, all of a sudden these noises and these sightings started happening. And now there was a man who clearly wanted something from us or from me. But what? I finally decided to tell my cousin Denise about everything. I called her one night and we talked for hours about all of the noises, Jaden seeing the man watching me, and about how I had played the Ouija board with my friends the night that it seemed to all start. And the very first thing that Denise asks me 
is, well, when you were playing, did you say goodbye to it? It took me a second to recall how that night went, but all I could remember was how scared I got when my friend started talking to the spirit and how I freaked out and turned the lights on and closed the game. And that's when I realized we never said goodbye. Denise freaked out when I told her this and she said, you have to go get the board right now, tell it goodbye and then burn it. So I agree. I tell her I'll do it and I'll call her back when I do. I run upstairs to my room to get the Ouija board from underneath my bed. I bend down and I reach underneath it, but there's nothing there. The board, it's gone. I paused for a second and thought about it, like where else could I have put it? But there was nowhere else. I checked everywhere. So then I assumed maybe my mom had come and got rid of it when I was at school or something. But when I told her what Denise had said, she told me she didn't do anything with it and she hadn't seen it. We searched our entire house, inside and out, but the board was never to be seen again. We still don't know where the Ouija board disappeared to and who or what had taken the board away from us. And that still haunts us. And when I look back at these years, I always wonder what would have happened if I hadn't been gifted that Ouija board that Christmas. Would I have had a more normal time in high school and college? And again, if I had played by the rules and I had said goodbye to the spirit before putting the game away the second time, could the man have ever even come for us? But this was all far from over. My sightings of him, of the cross-armed man, had just started and they would only get more vivid, more terrifying, and more frequent. And soon, I would come to realize that some spirits are a lot more powerful than others and will not stop until they have taken full control of your body. Thank you for tuning in to part one of the Chambers family's ghost story. The events in this episode were based on real lived scenarios with the authority and oversight of the encounterer herself, Veronica Chambers, written and performed by me, Jacob Granado. 
Don't forget to tune in two weeks from now to get the next slice of Veronica's story, where we will meet the other entities that came to stay at the Chamber's house, and how one of them was able to get inside Veronica's body. I will return next Monday with a Crack Pop episode where we will go for a little joyride in one of the most haunted cars in American history. See you soon.